Spreading Cajun across the nation. Pushing the brand across the land. Welcome to Ragin' Review. Made by the fans, for the fans. Cajun Nation. You feel it? Nice crispness in the air. It's championship week. Welcome to Rage and Review. Matt Miguez, Jerry Abear, Josh Jagno. We have so much to get into this week. Obviously, you would think that you're probably wondering why I sound energetic with the news that came out yesterday. And that news, of course, is Billy Napier, the head coach of the Louisiana Raging Cajuns, has accepted a contract to become the new head coach at the University of Florida. Five years ago, did you ever think this was possible? Well, take it a step further. Has a Sunbelt coach ever left this this kind of program to become the head coach at a major SEC contender? I think the answer would be no to that. Well, I mean, if you want to count Eli Drinkowitz going to Missouri. Um... Yeah, but come on. Missouri's not even a real SEC team. This is this is the University of Florida. This is Tim Tebow. This is Urban Meyer. This is Danny Warfel. Steve, Steve Spurrier, Spurrier. ball coach. This is the this swamp. is national championships and Heisman this Trophy is, winners, we, man. We, this we is call like the real deal. We call Cajun Field the swamp, but that Gainesville is the swamp. Well, they're the swamp because of us. Spurrier took that from us. But well, but 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 just to say, I don't I don't think that that high profile of a job has ever been. No, uh, um, no way. No Sunbelt Conference coach. Hell, there's not many G5 coaches, period, that have made that type of leap. Um, so just think about the, the I don't know, like the, the, the fullness of that, the, the weight of that. That's huge for the league, for our school. Um, like I said, Billy's changed things around here forever. Yeah, 100%. This, it's a, it's a precarious situation. Because if you make the wrong hire here, it sets you back 10 years. However, with the success that Billy Napier has brought this football program, I firmly believe that this is now a highly sought-after job in college football. Well, this is a, it's a bittersweet moment. Um, it's bittersweet because, you know, obviously you hate to see your coach go anywhere especially someone like Billy Napier, who has won 39 games in four years. I mean, I, I go back to the 1997 through 2001 stretch, and in a longer amount of time, we won nine games. So we've been to the, the lowest of low to where we are now is the highest of high. And, and when you get to a level like that of success, you're, you're going to get looks. You're going to get scooped up. You're going to get, interest. And so I think for us, 
um, for, for a school like the university of Florida, the Gators, you know, like you said, the swamp, um, you know, when, when a school like that comes calling for your football coach, as much as it, as it hurts to see Billy go, you can't help but appreciate there's obviously something that he did here that would have a school like that coming, coming over here and, and trying to scoop him up. And so um, I'm, I'm upset to see him go, obviously, but I'm very happy for him as well to, to take on this challenge and, and really, you know, compete for a national championship. I mean, that's what he wanted all along. You said it. this was the perfect stepping stone for that. You said it right there. Billy Napier is going to win national championships at the University of Florida. He probably will. And uh, if he, if our results are anything that's going to project into the future, then yeah, I think he will too. But and and here, it, and here's the best part of all of it. LSU didn't take him seriously. Let him go to Florida. And now he's going to spank their ass around for years to come. Yeah, and we can dive into that because I would love to just smear LSU all over. Uh, I w- I'll say this. I was going to make an analogy to if you've ever been in a car accident, your your adrenaline kicks in and you don't really grasp what exactly went on until maybe a day or two later. I, I think that that's happening for me. I've been kind of somber today. Uh, you know, I had a couple of different media things to do with the, the Florida friends that we've made. So I've been talking about it for so long. I've been reading about it for so long. This afternoon, I took a break and I just kind of stepped away from it all. And it's it's great to reminisce about all of the fun stuff and all the great things and the historic moments. But but make no mistake, it's a it's a somber moment for for hardcore fans like us because you know we struck gold with Billy. He's a special guy, and I don't. I hope we we find a great uh, hire, and I think we will find a great hire. But it's going to be hard to replace that guy, and and. Some it just kind of hits you a little bit when you step away from it all, and I'm I'm kind of in the that part of the grieving process. Uh, so, you know, I I want to be practical about it, and I want to kind of ration rationalize our way through all this stuff, and certainly want to help guide Cajun Nation to the next step and be positive and all those things. But I also want to be present and in the moment. Uh, it's it's not it's not as <laughs> I guess what I'm trying to say is that it is, there is some sadness to be experienced. And I, don't, I think that's okay. You know, look back and be happy for, for what happened and look ahead and be optimistic about what's coming, but also, you know, kind of, kind of be present where your feet are at and understand that this was, we just witnessed greatness here. Yep. And, and I said it many times, these are the good old days. We experienced them just, just this last couple of years. So I want everybody to understand that, you know, reflect and appreciate before we move on. Well, I think you made a great analogy last week when you said it's like going on a vacation to the Caribbean, right? You enjoy the crystal clear water, you go fishing, you enjoy the food, you enjoy the scenery. And eventually the trip has to come to an end. You go to the airport, you get on a plane, you go home, you get back to to your regular life. I think as far as the Billy Napier era, we're we're on the airplane heading back home. Um, But that doesn't mean we still can't have a good time. We still can't enjoy ourselves moving forward with another vacation. Which I was about to say the second, the second we get home, we're booking another one. Yeah. And, and which means hopefully we have a coach that comes in who understands the standards here. Now they understand what's expected. They understand 
what is here resource wise, what we have here, the potential we have here, because Billy Napier has shown the country that it does exist. You know, for the longest time, we have talked about being a sleeping giant. We've talked about how we're a ticking time bomb. I've heard all of the analogies for decades. And look, the bomb exploded, the giant's awake, and now it's time to, to do something with that. And I think moving forward, you know, we, we have, we always say in Maggard, we trust. Look, Dr. Maggard, he's done a fantastic job with these coaching hires. I mean, he himself hired Billy Napier. Uh, he knows the standard of this program. He knows the expectations. So I think he's going to be able to now have a checklist of what to look for next to where we could have a coach that comes in and basically continue what Billy started in their, in his own way. Right. And so it's all there. It's all there. And, and we've seen what it takes to get to this point. And now it's just a matter of finding somebody who can continue that process. And it's, it's obviously easier said than done, but I have a lot of trust that there's not only, I, I, not only is, is Brian Maggard going to make a great hire, but there's a lot of qualified people that probably have put their name in the hat for this job as well. Not only that, but you made a great comment about, you know, continuing what Napier, Napier built. This guy raised the bar to an unbelievably high level. Brian Maggard has also raised the bar to an unbelievably high level. So I don't see us going backwards in terms of the way that we fund programs, the way that we support our support staff, our nutrition staff, uh, the, the donors who don't donate for for suits for the guys, like all these little programs that were, I mean, they didn't exist before Billy. They're all in place. You know, we pay all of the the cost of attendance and we pay all the stipends and, you know, we support NIL and we teach these kids how to brand themselves for future possibilities when they get out of football. We do all those things in large part to the Billy Napier era. That's not going away. The next coach has those tools to work with. He has those those extra weapons to be able to recruit high-level athletes with, you know, that's something that maybe people don't think about when they're thinking about the next coaching search. He nailed it. Jay said this on the radio yesterday. He nailed it when he, he wrote that message to Cajun Nation, but also to his bosses and said, thank you, Joe Savoy, and thank you, Brian Maggard, for giving me the tools that I needed to accomplish my goals. I mean, that says everything if I'm an incoming coach. Yep. You gave me the resources that I needed to be successful. And then he delivered the success. For sure. I mean, look, that's a big part of the puzzle when you, when you talk about finding a new coach. No, that's, that's everything. If you don't have a good administration, you don't have anything as a, as a college football coach. Well, we've seen the other side of that 20 yep. or 30 years ago, right? For when sure. you had an administration that had no commitment, you saw what happened to the program. I mean, you saw it. I we mean, almost, we almost went FCS. Yeah. When you have an administration that's committed, when you have an administration yep. that's willing to put up money, when you have an administration that's willing to show support and give you resources and give you all the tools necessary to be successful, you, you can get what we have now, a nationally ranked football team that, that is on the rise. And so I think now it's a matter of, like I said, uh, back to it. It's a matter of getting someone who can come in to take Billy's place and continue that. And look, He's shown, he has shown the formula to doing that. He has shown what it takes to do that. And there's a lot of coaches out there that have coached in the, in the big conferences like the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, who I'm sure are looking at this job going, huh, if Billy Napier can go over there and win and eventually get a job at Florida, maybe I can. Heck, maybe I can stay a little bit longer 
and turn this program into a powerhouse. The, the options are there. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. One thing I've got to share because I'm seeing it on Twitter right now as, as we're recording. And this is not UL related at all. I just find it outrageous and I feel like I need to share it. The contract details for Lincoln Riley have been unveiled. $110 million. The University of Southern California is going to buy both of Lincoln Riley's homes in Norman, Oklahoma for $500,000 over asking price. The university will buy him a $6 million home in Los Angeles. And he and his family have unlimited use 24 hours a day, seven days a week of a university private jet. So when they tell you there's not enough money to pay the kids, just go back, refer to this contract. What is this dude? God. Well, and then I, I heard in one of the Gator deals, uh, a big part of getting him to Southern Cal was that he was going to be able to uh, recruit to these large NIL deals that these companies had set up. Well, of course, which by the way, which by the way is really the, it's the future of recruiting. 100%. You're, you're going to recruit to NIL deals. No, 100%. But um, yeah, just, I saw that on Twitter and thought I'd, I'd have to share just the ridiculousness. This is, this is what we've, we've come to in, in college football. I mean, just, just unreal. Um, the Billy Nate, speaking of contracts, the Billy Napier contract details will be made public probably in the coming days. I would imagine I have heard from different people, six years, $7 million a year. Whether that's accurate, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Just, you know, what I've been told. That's um, a good payday, fingers, man. Yeah. My fingers he, crossed. He for- deserves it. Smallest amount of information to come out before December 4th. For On sure. December 5th, release everything. everything. That's everything. fine. I mean, his, his press conference is December 5th. So, so uh, yeah, I really would just want to look forward to this championship game. Yeah, and, man, what a championship game that's going to be. Saturday at 2.30, the Cajuns and the Mountaineers on ESPN. Um, if you saw our tweet earlier, word from the ticket office is that Tickets are very becoming hard to come by. They're 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 almost they're getting to the point of running out. Yeah, uh, A and G on the lower deck on the home side. There's uh, obviously, I mean, I, I expect App State to sell all their allotment. I, I first of all, I think the thousand tickets is ridiculous. So, I, I easily they sell out. Um, there's a few tickets on the on the student side. I don't remember exactly where they are. Uh, general admission still there for there's uh, the an, hill and the upper deck. And there's, and there's a some section seats in the south end zone. There's a section or two in the south end zone. Yeah, that's still available. Right, smattering a smattering of tickets. Yeah. But uh, so uh, look, if we don't get 35 plus, I'm going to be pissed off because they everybody involved with this program deserves it. Yep. This is a seminal moment in Cajun field history. Uh, there's absolutely no reason why we can't fill that place. And according to Billy Napier, he will coach this conference championship game on Saturday. And his status in coaching UL's bowl game is, quote, to be determined. I think he's going after the championship game with early signing day and everything. I mean, look, I, in my honest opinion, I'm saying this as a fan. If he goes to Gainesville, gets introduced, 
on the 5th or 6th of December, and he officially becomes the Florida head coach, as long as he wins on Saturday, he's done everything he could do at this program. Yep. No, I mean, I, mean, I, I, mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't ask him to to come back for the bowl game because it's just no the 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 day and age of college football that we're in. You know, with the early signing period and and whatnot, right. he's got to get to work. He's got obligations at Florida. Right. He's got to get to so, work. So but his obligation this week, of course, and he he said this, you know, uh, earlier is you know he's got to, he's he's here to win the championship. Yeah, so if he if he flies to Gainesville Saturday night as soon as the game ends, I mean, I wouldn't blame him. No, I get it. I wouldn't blame him. It's part of the job. Um, and of and of course, you know, and we'll we'll dive deeper into this, you know, in the coming days. But obviously, a bunch of names have have been thrown around as as possible candidates to replace Billy. Uh, if you guys had to throw out one name right now, if you top of your list, who would it be? Jerry and I have been talking about two names that we've heard around the complex. Um, I'll let him say the other, but I'll say Pete Golding, yeah. D.C. at Alabama, yeah. yep. uh, is probably the most recognizable name. And from what I've been seeing on social media, I would say he's probably the favorite right now. Well, I don't know. I don't know if that's accurate, but I'll say that it's obviously – look, just the attention is, is good for the program. It's good. I've seen – It shows you the level of interest that, it, that this position is now going to get. I've seen a lot of current players follow Pete Golding on Twitter, so – I don't know if how hard you can look into that. Definitely something to to consider. It matters, uh, and like I said, I'll let Jerry say the other name, which is another very intriguing uh, potential candidate. I'm going to say Jeff Levy, offensive coordinator, Ole Miss. Um, he is um, he is uh, a, a big name. Uh, he's an offensive guru. He's fairly young. Um, he comes from. Uh, I mean, I know people say, well, he comes from the Art Bryles tree. Well, I understand that, but he's also a winner. Um, and then I'm, I'm going to throw another one out there. Um, a one part B, I guess, uh, Rob Sale. Um, if he somehow ends up going to Florida with Billy or stays around for the Giants, because I know the Giants is going through some coaching turnovers on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think he would be, I think he would be a good pick as someone who could come in and sort of continue what, what, what um, basically continue what, what Billy started. It's the same system. Yeah. And uh, I think we have breaking news. I know exactly what you're about to say, uh, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and, you know, I know this is, I, look, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I know it's going to be a rerun. Um, I, I know we, we usually record early. But, um, yeah, so uh, as we're on this pod, let's all sit back and laugh. Wait, uh, can, Matt, can, do you want to do it? Can I break it? You can break it. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports has announced that LSU is expected to hire Notre Dame's Brian Kelly as the school's next head coach. Now, look, I'm going to make my comment because I know you two are going to disagree with me wholeheartedly. I think it's a good hire. Now, it's not the, the splash hire that Scott Woodward was looking for. Say what you want about Notre Dame and being an independent and they don't play anybody. I Say what you want. The dude knows how to win. Hey, Jerry, what is Brian Kelly's record against the top 25 in his career? Oh, my God. Below five, it's below 500, I think. <laughs> Way below. 
It, it's way below five. He's like one in 25 or something like that. Hey, Jerry, what is Brian Kelly's record against the SEC in his career? Uh, Pretty low. Yeah, I, don't, I think he's won like one game. He's won a game against Vanderbilt. He's 0-2 against Georgia. He's beaten LSU twice. Beat Auburn. Beat Auburn way back in the day. Yeah, I think so. So in his career, this and this is just against all teams, he is 228 and 166. That's a winning percentage of 72.8%. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> Brian Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> we broke we broke josh we broke josh look i mean again it, it's, oh they it's, get look they're gonna sell the shit out of that hire too oh it was a great hire we had them all along yeah that's why your media goons made you look foolish for three weeks talking about lincoln riley and then who was who no first it was uh franklin then it was lincoln riley uh who was the other guy supposedly that they had Jerry might remember. I got I got lost at all. They were on option number seven or some shit. Fickle or Luke Fickle, yeah. Matt Campbell. Matt Campbell was oh was in the mix. God. Oh my god, <laughs> this is great. Brian Kelly, who almost got fired at Notre Dame three or four times. That is great. Well, you know, go Tigers, go Tigers. <laughs> Let's talk about the ULM Warhawks and how just like they always do, they gave us a run for our damn money. Well, we slept, we slept, walked through the game. I mean, we came out, put a couple of points on the board real quick, and then I think the guys kind of hit cruise control. Jerry said that in the post game. I agree with that. Uh, I thought we got hosed a few times by these just god awful Sunbelt refs. Took some points off the board for us, really hurt us offensively a few times. And, and at, at one point, you just had your hands in the air going, You got to be kidding me. Right. So uh, I think we're a victim of bad officiating. I thought that, uh, you know, we were excited. Uh, the crowd was bleh. So, you know, it wasn't a ton of energy in the, in the building. It was kind of rainy. It was more like by the, by the end of the, the second quarter, by halftime and the beginning of third quarter, it was kind of more like, let's just get through this thing and get it over with, get the W. At no time did I ever feel like we were in danger of losing the game. Uh, you know, we, we, we defense was absolutely stellar, even though we had a couple of guys not dressed. Percy Butler was one of them you know, a, a stalwart back there. So a few guys didn't play, and we, we still – I mean, we rolled. The defense was outstanding. We, we gave up one play that really was, you know, that, that seam route to Boogie Knight was the – that was the touchdown pass really was the only thing that I can complain about. But, uh, no, nah, man, the guys did what they needed to do. They knew they needed to just walk through, get a W, let's send the seniors off the right way and get ready for App State. Yeah, and Jerry, go ahead. And now, and now Rich Rod is going to Jackson State, so – for Jacksonville State. For Jacksonville State. Yeah, I. I uh, Wait, has oh, that been, has uh, that been confirmed? That has been confirmed. Yes. Ooh, so, wow. All right. I think I think the game was kind of one of those games. We, like you said, we were on cruise control. Um, I mean, we pretty much scored at ease in that first drive. Two plays. It was like eighty yards. Um, overall, I just think that they just kind of played a little vanilla. Uh, defense did their job, made key stops, and they had to. Offense just kind of just you know burn clock and. Didn't quite convert on a few opportunities. Could have put at least another 14 points on the board. Just couldn't convert on that. I know uh, Billy Napier had said after the game that they definitely need to get that fixed for Saturday. But overall, it, it didn't seem like it was a game. I, I never felt that the game was out of, like, what was a – I never felt like the game was, like, a loss, right? I always kind of figured that even when it was 14-10 to 10, that the team just kind of held their own. Um, yeah, it was never in doubt. I mean, it – 
Yeah, it was never in doubt, right? So, I mean, look, they won the game 11 straight, fourth straight win against ULM. Um, ULM, like I said the other night, they have a lot of upside, a lot of potential. Uh, tip my hat off to Terry Bowden and his staff, the way he was able to, you know, put some, get some energy into that program, um, just put a little bit of energy into the program after what they were left with last year. Um, he's going to do well over there and uh, very likable guy. And um, it was just great to get the win. And, and really just just everything was odd about it. The weather was was kind of damp. It was muggy. It was it was cold, rainy, and just just a nasty atmosphere overall. And, and I'm just, I, we, we just – it was one of those things we just kind of went through the game, to, went through the motions. Just kind of went through the motions. And so you won. Great. Great senior day. Good way to send the seniors out. But now we got some unfinished business on Saturday. Now it's time to – Bring it from a level two to a level a level ten. Yeah, no, no question about it. The second segment tonight will be a behind enemy lines segment for the Sunbelt Conference Championship game, gentlemen. Let's transition from the football field to the to the hardwood, and uh, let's talk about men's basketball. Disappointing couple of days for Bob Marlin and his program. After starting three and zero, they have dropped three straight games to go to five hundred. Um, but you know, have no fear. They got McNeese this week. Okay, well, so if they, if they if they performed like they did in the first half against uh, Jackson State, that, that ain't a, that's not a guaranteed win. So, so um, I, I brought these stats up the other night on our reaction pod. Now, I think it's important for me to bring this up again. In the last three games, we are 33.7% uh, field goal percentage, 68.6% free throws, 28% from the three-point line. You're not going to beat – you're not beating St. Thomas More High School shooting like that. Some, something's got to give in here, right? Something's got to give. I, I don't understand it. Uh, I watched that game on Saturday. I, it, the team just looked out of sync. Uh, I thought that Jackson State athletically was better. And all this hype about we have all this depth, we got all these big men, and you know we're going to be great in the paint. Where is it at? You lost to a Jackson State team that's full of guards. That was 0-5, and they came in and took care of business. It, it, I know, Matt, last week you were saying it's still a little early. I get it. I get it. But, man, early or not early, I think that the, they took a few steps down and that, that, that they have a lot, a lot of – a lot – very much of a steeper hill to climb now, regardless of if they go into conference, because you've got McNeese coming up. You've got UNO coming up. You've got Houston coming up. Got some challenging games up ahead that, you know, what I thought was once winnable – you play like Jackson State, you're not beating UNO. You're not beating McNeese. And you're definitely not beating Houston. So whatever game they have next, they better get it fixed. Better get it fixed quickly because I didn't see too much promise after what I saw on Saturday. Well, and one thing we talked about is the amount of turnovers, which is atrocious. We're averaging 22 turnovers over the last three games. You gotta be kidding me. The entire team has become Duguay. Turn the ball over every other possession. It's that is not winning basketball. You cannot sustain success by turning the ball over every single time down the goddamn floor. It doesn't matter if it's McNeese. It doesn't matter who else is on the schedule before conference play. 
we better start figuring out how to shoot the basketball. And I'm not just talking about from the field. From the free throw line, we're below 60% as a team. That is unacceptable. We look clumsy. We look soft. We look poorly coached. We look out of position. We look confused. And this is against subpar, well, not obviously – Indiana's not subpar competition, and I think Marshall was a peer. We, we already said that. But outside of that, I mean, we turned the ball over too many times against uh, Xavier New Orleans. We let them shoot the lights out. We lost by 12. Or we won by 12. You know, that, that school is, is nowhere near what we should of the level that we should be playing. So when we start conference, yeah, hopefully we'll, we'll gel and we'll find some chemistry. But it's not good. You can't you can't churn that propaganda mill and get everybody excited and then show up and go three and three against this out of conference schedule. You just can't do it, um, <laughs> man. I tell you well, what, we have a we we have a a big problem with gassing up the fan base and then letting them slam down. That people don't come back from that. This is what I was complaining about before the season started, and hell, the last three years, to be honest. Tell the truth. Stop posting bullshit like. We're the number three defense in the country after you played two exhibition games. I mean, come on. Well, you're you're one and three against D one competition. I mean, that's that's just a fact. And, but you're not going to see that posted on the social sites, Jerry, because that doesn't get guys uh, fans to the dome, right? I mean, we got to get fans to the dome. It doesn't matter if we're bullshitting them or if we're lying to them. We just got to get them inside the door so they can wait in a concession line for thirty minutes and pay fifteen dollars for a damn beer and a bag of chips. That's what matters here. Well, if you want to do that, you got to beat Jackson State. You can't lose to Jackson State. You can't go to Indiana, regardless of if it's the Indiana Hoosiers and miss 25 straight shots and shoot 19% from the field. You can't go to Marshall and be up by five at halftime and, and, and blow a, a five-point halftime lead by getting outscored by 20 points in the second half. And you can't do that, again, once again, by losing to an 0-5 Jackson State team that almost ran you off the court. And I understand they're like, well – you know, we had effort towards the end. Look, I, I applaud you for your effort. I applaud you. But why did it get to that point? Should why did it every get to the- You should beat every SWAC school by double digits every single time out. I don't but- care. I don't care if they won the SWAC last year. Should beat them by double digits every point. That team was averaging 56 points a game and were and was 0-5. And, and I- they, made, they looked like the goddamn Globetrotters. I still want to know why we gave, I mean, yeah, you want to talk about comebacks. Why did we give why did we spot them a 16 point lead to begin with? That's, that's my complaint about that. And I know there's some fans out there. Oh, y'all are being negative and y'all are, y'all are bashing. Well, look, man, is I'm, I'm just, I'm just telling you what I saw. This is, I'm not, there's nothing to sunshine pump here. It's that wasn't good on Saturday. I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated that I sat and had to watch that. I'm sorry. You want to? I've said it to football. I've said it to baseball. I'll say it to basketball. You want to prove me wrong? Go in these next three games. Go perform. Go beat McNeese. Go beat UNO. Give Houston the best game you can. Heck, go beat Houston. Hell, go beat them. If, if you're the them. kind of person that believes living in reality is us being quote unquote negative, this podcast isn't for you. It just isn't. We're not going to sit here and do the propaganda thing. We got enough of that coming out of the basketball program. That's not what this is for. We talk about the games from our perspective and what we have witnessed over the course of, hell, 12 years, 11 years plus. It's the same – we have the same issues that the past 10 teams have had. We turn the ball over. We play shitty defense on the the perimeter. 
we uh we, we struggled at the free throw line. That that's the it's the same team. We don't space the floor properly. We try to do <clears> razzle dazzle in in transition. We end up fumbling the ball out of bounds. It's embarrassing. There is no fundamental basketball being played. I, I'm sorry, I just don't see it, man. I know we're only six games in, but I, I, it's the same issues year after year. New staff, new player, or new assistants, new players, same team. Yeah. Well, they have their chance to uh, to turn it around in, in the next three games. So let's see what they can do. I mean, that's really all they can do. Go ahead and tell us how mean we are, Matt. Oh, no, you took the words I right out of my mouth. We're just going to go to a break. We're going to take a break right here on Rage Interview, and we come back, like I said, behind enemy lines with App State as we prepare for this massive Sunbelt Conference Championship game. Saturday, December 4th, 2.30 p.m. kickoff on ESPN. But, of course, it's a home game. So get your ass to catch your field. Rage interviews right back after this. Chris Russo of Russo Exploration encourages you to donate to the Raging Cajun Athletic Foundation. The RCAF, the official fundraising arm of Louisiana Athletics, supports over 400 student-athletes across 16 NCAA sports. You can invest in the RCAF today for as little as $5 a month. Just go to myrcaf.org to get started or call 337-851-RCAF. As always, donations to the RCAF are tax-deductible. Your investment today will enrich the lives of every athlete that puts on the vermilion and white. Go Cajuns! Welcome back, everybody. Behind enemy lines, as promised, we're going to be highlighting a new App State guest tonight. You know we like to keep it fresh around here. Uh, Tyler Helton from TappedInSports.net. He's a contributor. Also does great work on Twitter. We've gotten to uh, have a pretty decent relationship with some of these guys. He's one of our favorites, so we figured we'd bring him on. Tyler, welcome to the Raging Review podcast for the very first time. Guys, it's a pleasure to be on with you. Um with the famous bunch now, uh, thanks to University of Florida guys. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to Saturday, man. It's going to be an absolute blast. And, uh, yeah, uh, just a little bit about me. Uh, 2015 app grad. Um, I'm a uh, high school history teacher here in uh, central North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte, and um, golf coach. But uh, I absolutely love football and – um, so a buddy of mine, Bryden Tweedy, got uh, TappedInSports.net started. And, uh, you know, we're just getting the ball rolling with it, but excited to see uh, how that continues to grow and looking forward to getting into a basketball season here pretty soon and, and growing some content with that. But 
Yes, great. Great to be with you guys tonight. Before we jump into, you know, the Cajuns and app and everything, I, I am curious because we we love rivalries. We love sports hate here. Uh, you guys went out and, and dominated a, a rivalry last week. How was that? How did you guys enjoy that uh, beatdown of Georgia Southern? Even though they're on a downswing, still fun to kick the hell out of your, your rival. So uh, how was last weekend? You know what? I don't give a damn what their record is. Beating them in anything is a fantastic – if they had an underwater basket weaving team, I would want to beat the hell out of them. You know, and I feel I feel like we still owe them a couple from them, you know, beating us in 18 and 19 with arguably two of our best teams ever. I still haven't got that dirty taste out of my mouth uh, and will forever hate Chad Lunsford for it. So, good riddance, pal. But, no, that – I told the the guys on the fun belt pod earlier that game was almost sad how lifeless that Georgia Southern team was. And, you know, they tried to create some energy early, but there was just nothing there. So, you know, we didn't play great. We played down to them, but you take a 27 to three win any day of the week. And it sounds like our team's playing down to opponents. Um, <laughs> it's been kind of a, it's almost like a uh, fool's gold, right? Uh, yeah, definitely understand that. Um, you know, speaking of which, right, uh, the first time we met in October, the week before we had played uh, South Al, one by two, barely squeaked by, uh, at basically destroyed Georgia State and Atlanta. And uh, a lot of our fans were very nervous coming going into that game, especially after what had happened in Boone last year when the Cajuns went up to, to App and, and won. But it was a game that it's safe to say it was probably our best game we've played all year next to Liberty. And uh, it was kind of a shocker for us. I mean, we were ecstatic, but I think for me and for, especially for us here at Raging Review, I think we were more shocked at how much we dominated app at the line of scrimmage. I mean, app, I mean, let's be honest. And I know you're, you're a diehard, but app doesn't get dominated like that by anybody. Right. Unless you're playing like some P five, but even then, right. In your opinion, Watching that game, there's some app fans that said, you know, the 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 near the, the Mountaineers beat themselves. Um, what what was your opinion about that game? Did did the Mountaineers beat themselves? Did the Cajuns basically take them to school? I mean, what what is what is your vibe about what happened in that first meeting of of that 41-13 win by by the Cajuns over the Mountaineers? You know, I I get where the the guys are coming from that say we beat ourselves, and we made some absolutely uncharacteristic mistakes in that game so yeah we shot ourselves in the foot but to watch that game and say anything other than we got outplayed out coached out efforted you name it is, is kidding ourselves we got our asses absolutely handed to us you just got to tip your hat and move on um you know it was one of those nights where it didn't seem like things were you know, anything that could have gone wrong went wrong for us. Levi Lewis came out and was throwing absolute haymakers, you know, early in that game. And I think, what, we got down 20-3 to three at one point after uh, y'all scored after a fumble. I mean, at that point, it's like, okay, your defense can pin its ears back and the running game's gone. And Chase Bryce had happy feet the rest of the night. So, you know, anytime you jump out on somebody like that, make them one-dimensional, the rest of the game script is going to be in your favor. Casual fans are going to look at that score and say, wow, the Cajuns just 
kick their butt. They're going to dominate them. But I don't think that tells the whole story. You know, I think a, a couple plays change in that game, and you're looking at a completely different outcome of a score. So I see where they're coming from, but no, that, that was not the case. The, the Cajuns absolutely beat our tail that night. Yeah, I mean, again, for us, I mean, as ecstatic as we were, it was kind of more of a surprise uh, seeing the way it, it was against App. Because we knew going in, I mean, look, we, we know the Chase Bryce's, the Camp Peoples. I mean, we, we know the Thomas Hennigans. I mean, we, it's almost like we – just like you recognize our team, we definitely recognize yours. And, uh, and it's a mutual respect, right? I mean, you know, the, these games are – both teams beat you. Both teams play at the line of scrimmage. So that's why I, I, we thought it would be a, a, a really tough game. And, and just the fact from our point of view, it's, it's, it's like how did we dominate App at the line of scrimmage like that? Because App, that's App's bread and butter, right? We definitely don't expect that this week. Uh, and because of that, and that brings me to my next question, since that game, App, I don't know if that was a wake-up call to uh, Sean Clark and his team, but, man, Mountaineers have brought it up a notch uh, since that game in October. Uh, you're undefeated since then. You've clinched the East since then. Uh, and your defense is giving up just a little over 14 points a game. Offense is putting up uh, over 40 points a game. And the average margin of victory that App has had since our meeting in October, 26 points per game. What changed? What was it that changed? What have they done differently? And what can we expect to be different about this App team coming to Cajun Field this Saturday as opposed to when they came to Cajun Field back in October? We're not going to surprise anybody. You know exactly what we're going to do, and, and that's the reality of it. You know, we're, we're not out there throwing trick plays at people. You're getting outside zone, you're getting inside zone, and then we're going to run the play-action game off of that. I think what has happened since that game was we have 28 seniors, and in that we have a ton of leaders that, got into that locker room and said, guys, this is unacceptable. We just gave up 41 points. That doesn't happen here. And I don't think Coach Clark had to say a whole lot. I mean, uh, you know, he's a relatively quiet guy. He's a former offensive line coach. So, you know, he's going to feel disrespected when when his offensive line gets manhandled the way they did that night. So I'm sure he had a special message for them. I, I I don't see it happening again. I think the senior leaders have uh, have just said, we're going to take control of this team and we're going to make sure something like that does not happen again. I, I wanted to say real quickly, man, uh, the transition, the transition of the Cajuns beating app and as excited as we were, the very net, we, we did the 24 hour rule. By the next day, we became the biggest app fans because the following week, you, uh, you humbled some people from Conway, South Carolina. And for that, we want to say thank you. <laughs> Indeed. That one, that one felt about as good as beating Georgia Southern. I'm not going to lie. The Cajun Nation will admit we won that game with you. We, we were yelling at the TV with you guys and boom. So if you can hear screaming from like afar beyond the mountainside, it was people in Lafayette when y'all made that field goal. So just giving you a heads up there. Well, you know, we've we've had some loud games in Boone, and, you know, I know the new end zone facility has added a new level to that acoustic-wise, but that Coastal game was the loudest that I have ever heard Kid Brewer Stadium from start to finish of that game. And, look, for um, me, I, I watch a lot of G5 football. That was the, the G5 football game of the year, 
as far as look, we had a rooting interest, obviously, but all things considered with everything that was going on, the storyline with the beach chickens, we had just played you guys. We would prefer to play you guys again in the Sunbelt championship game. The fact that really when they started out, I would say the first half of that first quarter, App State got hosed on three or four calls, and I was revved up, man. And I was watching with a few people, and we were all talking about how there's no way the Sun Belt is going to protect these bastards again. So uh, there were so many reasons why that game was just a whole hell of a lot of fun. And, and really, I think that game was the most important moment of our season. You know, that was the shot in the arm that got us to the point that we're at now. Because if we come out and we lose that game – at home after just getting our asses kicked by y'all, um, you, you you may see a different outcome of the season. So, um, you know, in, in some ways, I guess we have to thank you for laying the wood on us uh, back in October because well, I think that helped. I think that it's a testament to your culture. We talk about culture a lot here, and Billy built a great one, but App State has had a culture for 30 years. There's not there, – I had no doubt in my mind – that App State was going to play well. I didn't know if they were going to win the game because, look, McCall's good. The offense that they run is – it's tough and complex, and we understand that. But I knew that App State was going to come out and play some pretty damn good football, and that's exactly what they did. Now, they didn't play their best game. I thought that they actually played a subpar first half. Uh, but when it counted, they made big play after big play, and that's what you expect out of an App State team. And like I said, that's a testament to the pride – and the culture and, and the expectation that you all have. We put a statue out in front of Kid Brewer this year for the man that started that, and that's Jerry Moore. You know, you, you see you know, Clark played for him. Satterfield played for him. Uh, Sean Elliott down at Georgia State played for him. And the common theme with those guys is that culture that, uh, you know, you, you want a player-led locker room that holds each other accountable, like I talked about earlier. And I, I think that's – that's been a huge part of our success, even through all these coaching changes that we've had, because it's just been guys that have not tried to change anything, just continue that culture on. And I, I think Louisiana is going to run into the same thing with whoever you guys bring in next. That culture is established just because Billy's leaving. It's not going anywhere. As long as the new guy doesn't try and come in and just change everything, which I don't see happening. I think that's why it was so appropriate whenever Sean Clark was hired. You know, when, when you look at him, you look at his resume, he, he's not flashy. He's not, you know, this big name that 20 different schools are looking at, but he understands the App, Appalachian State culture. He understands he played on those teams under the Jerry Moores that have been the best of the best. So to me, hiring somebody like him, I would take someone like Sean Clark to, to lead an App State program before some sexy name from the, the, the P5 who doesn't really understand anything about App State, right? Because Sean Clark basically, and just like Satterfield, same thing, just kind of continued what Jerry Moore started. You know, we, we've, we've talked about this. We've had black and gold pot on before, and, and we've mentioned it to him even a few years ago. Our, our standard has just really begun. Um, you know, we, this is something that, you know, being ranked in the top 25, winning 10 plus games, We've done it three years in a row, but it's still sort of new to us. Whereas App has had this long tradition of, I mean, heck, you win less than 
nine games, people are going, what, what's going on, right? So, but but that's your standard. That That's not saying that you're spoiled or anything. That's your standard. That's what App State is known for. You know, you're, you go beat Michigan in the big house. You win FCS championships. You you put yourself in the position to be ranked in the top 25 every year. Like, I mean, it, that, I, that, I mean personally, I've always had respect for App due to the fact that your transition to the FBS, you haven't had a losing season since moving up, which is very hard to do. So I think we're still kind of learning that. But to me, man, like Sean Clark was was the guy for for the job. I mean, he he's the perfect fit. Um, and, and I don't see him going like I unless you know some massive Big Ten school comes calling or some massive SEC school comes calling. He seems like someone that would that would stay for a while and, and keep building the program and app and, and maintain success like he has so far in these short uh, few years that he's been there. Yeah, Jeremy Harper earlier asked me, you know, why has he not got the the press that some of these other coaches have? And, you know, I I don't know if it's his offensive line coach background or or what it is, but you said it. He's not the flashy guy. He's quiet. He's going to give you the same coach speak every week in the press conference, almost to an audience. Um, you, you rarely get anything crazy out of him, but um, – the man knows how to put his head down, work hard, and keep the culture going. And, you know, Eli Drinkwitz hopped into a Ferrari when he came here for one year. I mean, that roster was loaded. You would have had to screw it up to to not win nine or ten games with that roster. And, um, you know, when Clark took over, uh, he said in his press conference, you're going to have to throw me out of this place. So, you know, do I think if someone with a big enough checkbook comes waving it at him, yeah, he's gone, but I really don't see that happening for a while. You don't think he needs a, a fairy godmother like uh, Chip Kelly did? <laughs> <You know? laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Around. I don't want to go off on that rabbit, that rabbit hole. That would that we'd be here all night. Uh, but I, I'm going to steer us back on the field. And Jerry mentioned uh, the stellar play that App State has has just really annihilated opponents since the Cajuns game on the 12th of October. Uh, I was looking at Chase Bryce's stats and I, you know, kind of just to hit some, some numbers that people will care about 14 touchdowns, only four, only five picks completing 61% of his passes. And he's only been sacked three times. That really stuck out to me. Only three sacks given up in six games. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Chase come, he came in with a pedigree and he had a bit of an expectation to live up to. I agree with the BGP guys that said, Look, it's a little bit unfair to hold this guy to a standard just because he went to a, a certain school. I always thought that that was a, a fair assessment of the of the situation. Chase Bryce has been a superstar for you. Uh, and before we get off of Chase Bryce, I'll ask you about the rushing attack later, but he is running that offense to perfection. He's running it the way that they want to run it. They, they're the 23rd or tw- I think it's 24th actually uh, ranked team in the country in time of possession. They're, they're playing App State football, and they're doing it under, you know, I mean, look, Chase Bryce is a stallion. If you look at his, his high school videos and you look at why he ended up at Clemson, this guy could sling it. So how did they kind of get Chase Bryce to play that brand of football? How did they get him to believe in that type of offense? And how so quickly did he just really, I mean, he flipped over and just ran it with, with, with just such class and perfection. Well, 
I think when you look at what App State wants to do offensively, it's a quarterback's dream. I mean, you're, you're handing off 60% of the time um, on about as simple of a run game as you can possibly run if it's blocked well. Um, and I don't want to call him a game manager because he's not, but really your job is to just not make mistakes. You're going to get four or five yards on first down. The options are unlimited on second down if you do that. And what Chase Bryce has given App State is the deep ball because that was something with Taylor Lamb and with Zach Thomas we didn't have. Zach would hit one very rarely, um, but that was an element that just wasn't there. And so I think the thing that you've seen since our last game is balance. When the running game's not been there, Chase has hit home run balls. When Chase hasn't been sharp, the running game's picked him up. So just that balance, I think, has really been the recipe that we've hoped for and that has brought us success. Um, you mentioned the three sacks in six games, and you know that's all up on the Bulls up front. And uh, you know Nick Cardwell has those guys playing at a high level, and um, you know I'll highlight a couple of them later on. Uh, but you, he owes a lot to them. And I know he – I think he takes them out weekly uh, for a steak dinner, and, and they deserve it, so. Now, that is awesome. That's what I want to hear in college football. If you're going to make some NIL money, you better take out the big boys, get them a steak, fatten them up a little bit. That's good. Keep them happy. Uh, but that's cool. That's a cool story. Uh, rushing attack, 35th in the country. Uh, that's probably exactly right around the area where App State wants to be, um, ideally. And like I mentioned, the time of possession is is very good. I mean, top 25 in the country is always something you want to shoot for if you're a ball control offense. Uh, what's been the biggest contributor to the continued success of the rushing attack? I know that Cam Peoples has had a few injuries here or there, uh, kind of some bizarre – we expected more playing time earlier in the season, and there were times – like, for example, in the Coastal game, uh, from what I understood, he was healthy, ready to rock and roll, and they didn't play him until the second half. That was very interesting. Um, Nate Noel, obviously an amazing scat bag, does a lot of things better than most people would think. He's a damn good blocker if you watch him play enough. Uh, what do you think has, has been the catalyst to that rushing attack? And I'm sure you're going to say the hogs up front. But, 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 but seriously, if that's what it is, I'd love to know. I, I think that it's incredible the consistency that App State just continues to run the ball with. Well, you can't not mention the offensive line, but in order to stay away from the cliche, I'll, I'll give you something else. Um, our rotation at times has been confusing, a bit head-scratching. Um, they've tried, I think, to go series by series, um, try and get guys in a rhythm. But, yeah, Cam's been dinged up. Nate's been dinged up. I mean, there's been – we've used, I think, six different backs. Uh, from Jameer Smith to Anderson Castle. Uh, Daytrick Harrington is finally back healthy. Uh, we never thought we'd see him play in the black and gold again. To, so to see him carrying the ball is awesome. Ty, that's that's um, something I probably should have asked already, but how healthy is healthy? Are, are, we, are we talking about like 2018 Harrington or how, how, how healthy is healthy? No, I, I mean, I, I don't think you're ever going to see him back to that point. Um, he's not 
you know, publicly given a percentage of how healthy he is. I think there's times where you can see the burst is close, but it's not, it's not there. It's not a hundred percent. But at this point in the year, who really is a hundred percent? You know, I, I think everybody's kind of dinged up. Everybody's hurting. They're sore. Um, it's, but he's fresh. I mean, he's had less than 25 carries, I think, on the season. Uh, and and really what you've seen with Cam is I think we've been saving his carries for the end of the year run. And, um, you know, maybe that's put some unnecessary stress on Nate, but man's rushed for over 1,000 yards already, so it's hard to argue with the results. Um, but I told uh, I told the guys earlier, I think you're going to see a heavy dose of Cam Peoples on Saturday um, because he is much harder to bring down than Nate from a just a sheer strength standpoint. And uh, if we're going to out-physical the Cajuns, it's, it's going to have to be Cam. Yeah, I mean, look, he, not having Cam Peoples in that first game, I think, really put a damper on – on the app offense, uh, especially with the fact that we were able to contain Nate Noel for the most part. And um, really, I thought the Cajun defense, the front seven, probably played their best game of the year against app's, app's offensive line. And I mean, when you don't have a, a rushing attack, it doesn't matter if you're playing the Cajuns, if you're playing even an FCS school, you can't run the football. That takes away the dynamics, especially with the fact that I thought the Cajun front seven put a lot of pressure on Chase Bryce, which caused chase to throw some picks, you know, and, 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 and commit some turnovers. But um, I think having camp peoples definitely helps uh, app states offense, especially I think if the offensive line plays well, it's going to be a, it's going to be a challenge for the Cajuns front seven. It's not going to be so easy this time around, but uh, moving on real quickly, Ty, uh, you know, since the game against uh, the Cajuns and in the following week after that beating coastal on the last second field goal, uh, as mentioned earlier, apps pretty much run away with most of the games. Um, now, the Mountaineers have played some close games to start the season. You know, Miami and, of course, we talked about Coastal already. Um, do you think if App plays a close game against Louisiana, like if the game is within a touchdown in the third quarter, do you think that can hurt or can that help App State on Saturday? Well, I – you know, I think at times the box score can be a bit deceiving because while some of the, the scores in those games have looked lopsided, we haven't played a complete game yet. And, in fact, in a lot of those games, for an entire half, we look terrible. Uh, like the Troy game, the first half, first half in Georgia State, uh, really in, even last week, the first half against Georgia Southern. Uh, that's a 7 nothing game going to halftime. And uh, – you know, so I, in a sense, have played close games. So uh, when you couple that with the fact that you got 28 seniors and, and super seniors, these guys have played close games their entire career. Um, so you know, I don't, I don't know if I, if I say that it, a close game is an advantage to us or or a disadvantage. I think I don't think they're going to be blinded by a close game in any way, shape, or form. Um, I, I think they're expecting a close game. Yeah, I think they're ready for it. I'm certainly expecting a close game. I don't think this game is going to be anything like the first game. Uh, I do have a question about logistics real quick. We have found out recently that uh, none of the full-service hotels here in uh, the beautiful metropolis of Lafayette 
are available to the team. So I, my question was, is the team staying in Baton Rouge? If so, typically when we travel, our fans will stay around the hotel with the team and the players and everything. Is App State going to do something similar? Uh, if not, is there a contingency that's going to stay in Lafayette and try to take in the nightlife and do all the Cajun things? Uh, what are you hearing around Boone right now as far as travel and logistics for the fans? Uh, so my, my travel source is my uh, brother who's on the equipment staff. And um, he, he did tell me they are staying in Baton Rouge. I, I typically don't know where the team stays. But I do know we, we usually stay at least about an hour away from wherever we're playing for whatever reason, you know, whether it be the hotel situation, conference rooms, whatnot. But usually – Unless it's a bowl game, we typically don't have a ton of our fans stay at the team hotel. Usually, most fans will try and stick a little closer to town and and take in that nightlife. I know it, it you know, for you guys, the ones that are going are interested in one thing, one thing only, and that's the food. Um, so I, I'm sure most of our our fans coming down there are going to be staying closer to Lafayette and taking in that nightlife. So I, I wish I was one of them. That's Unfortunately, good. I won't be able, I won't be making it this year. But that's good to hear. I'm going to, and you can tell everybody this, and tell your brother and all. Uh, I'm going to make a map that's going to tell you guys exactly where to go. It's going to be close to Cajun Field and close to the the hotels. I hope to have time to make it tomorrow and try to send it out by then. But there's a couple of spots that you're really going to want to hit. It, it, it's going to give you that that road feeling, but we're going to probably put our arm around you and give you a beer that type deal so uh be look be on the lookout for that and then i know jerry's got the next yeah speaking of travel um so we've we've made two trips up the boom for the championship game um this is our first time hosting the sunbelt conference championship game and of course i know app didn't play in it last year well nobody played in it last year um so this year with with app coming down to lafayette uh what has been the fan reaction how how is mountaineer nation uh, taking in the fact that they're coming to Cajun country and, and uh, do they look forward to the trip? I mean, what would have been uh, sort of the vibe amongst the fans and uh, coming down to South Louisiana for a good football game on Saturday? Well, you know, I think it, it certainly provides a different challenge. You know, I don't want to say it was starting to get old playing you guys in Boone every year. Cause that certainly was not the case. You know, I, I think the fans are excited. The ones that are able to make the trip, you know, I've kind of mentioned it before, but, most of our alumni base is teachers, and with that comes you know, a certain level of pay that doesn't allow for a ton of extra travel, especially around the holidays. But there, are, there's a, a big portion of our fan base that will make the trip, and uh, I know they're excited for it. And we're we're all hoping to see Cajun Field packed. It's it's not a Tuesday night game, thankfully. So, uh, and and I hear that there is not going to be a game in in Baton Rouge on Saturday. So that there shouldn't be any excuse for uh, uh, that place to not be packed. And, See, um, the, the way that it goes in this sport is if you don't win, you don't play after the first week of December. That's what so I hear. Those, those guys over there are having a tough go of it. But uh, what we understand is that your ticket allotment is somewhere around the 800 mark and maybe even up to somewhere around a thousand. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what I've heard. I think it's uh, around 800 and I, I would expect us to have, about a thousand, maybe a little bit more. I, I think that's pretty on par with what you guys brought up to Boone. Uh, you know, y'all pretty much had one whole section filled up from what I remember. 
Yeah, I think uh, that's about right. I, I've been to both, and I thought, I thought, yeah, anywhere from six, seven hundred to eight, nine hundred. I think that that's probably close. Yeah. But yeah, as far so, as as far as your football team, how healthy are you guys? Do you have any outstanding injuries that we don't know about? I know we kind of touched on Cam and Nate. Uh, is is there anybody? Or I'm sorry, Cam and and Daytrick, But is there anybody else that kind of got nicked up since the last time we saw you guys play? Anything kind of out of left field from practice, anything that you've heard? Uh, not really. I know we had a we had a battle with the flu, uh, and I know uh, linebacker T.D. Roof did not play against Georgia Southern at all. Oh, no. Uh, Is it the flu? Is it the flu? Tell me it's just the flu. I've been told it was the flu, but if we get shut that, down for that doesn't exist anymore. Hey, so. Oh my! We gosh. don't want no. Uh, we don't want no surprises come Thursday night like last season, where we're at the team dinner and you know app flies in. <laughs> oh, by the way, guys, game canceled. We, we don't want none of that. You know. Uh, no, that is not the case. We are very well vaccinated, from what I hear. So, um, I expect TD to be back uh, for Saturday. And you know, in terms of the injury front, other than that, we've actually. We got Sean Jolly back for the first time in about four weeks against Georgia Southern. So it was nice to see him get some run again. Uh, he's going to definitely be needed, um, you know, to try and slow down your your passing game. But other than that, not really. We, we were worried we were going to lose big Isaiah Helms for the season uh, with something torn in his knee, and the man missed like one practice and came back. So he is an absolute animal. Uh, big number 68, you'll see him uh, at the offensive guard position. Uh, he's our, our transfer from Western Carolina, and I don't know how that man only had FCS offers to begin with because he is insane. Um, but other than that, I think we're pretty clean on the injury front, um, just your dings and bruises this time of year. So um, I'm – I haven't heard about you guys in terms of injuries, but hopefully we're coming in this game with two full squads ready to go to battle. Yeah, I think it's safe to say. I mean, we're I think both teams are pretty much pretty much good to go for the most part. Um, you know, we didn't have any significant injuries last week, thankfully. Um, it was one of those games where uh, it's kind of a weird game for both because, you know, we both already kind of knew that we're playing this weekend. So the best thing was is just try to be healthy, and and, and we and Josh and I have talked about it, and and uh, you know, and Matt, where he was here in the last segment as well, and and we kind of felt that we were on cruise control against against Monroe. You know, I'm sure it was kind of the same way, even though it's an arch rival with Georgia Southern, same thing, right? But anyway, going into Saturday, uh, obviously we know the big names for App. You know, Corey Sutton, Cam Peoples, Chase Bryce, Thomas Hennigan's, right? The Nate Noels of the world. Uh, who are some, who are some of the biggest, who, who are the, who has been the biggest different maker um, outside of those names uh, that, you know, we might not have heard of as much, whether it's offense, defense, special teams, uh, who has been sort of the up and comer over the last five or six games since we last met and what, and, and, you know, a name that we will probably hear this Saturday for app. Well, I mentioned one there with Isaiah Helms, uh, you know, you're not going to hear an offensive lineman's name called unless he's got a holding penalty. You know, our offense goes as that offensive line goes. And uh, so he's been huge up front. Luke Smith did a fantastic job of filling in for him when he was out uh, for a short time. 
Defensively, I, I'm going to say that the name that you need to watch for is Jordan Earl, big guy in the middle. You know, Demetrius Taylor, Caleb Sperlin, they get the press. Um, but Mr. Earl has taken up a double team on almost every play. And the times that he's able to beat those double teams, yeah, the, the man is incredible. And, and him eating that double team has freed up DeMarco Jackson to absolutely go ape crap on people. You know, I, I think you're, you're looking at between him and uh, what is it, the Marshall kid from Troy, I think those are easily the two best linebackers in the league. DeMarco Jackson isn't able to be what he is without Earl taking up the double team up front in that 3-4. So, I, I, to me, he's, he's the big key on defense. If he's playing well, the linebackers are free to do what they need to do. If, uh, if they're getting off of Earl and getting to the linebackers like you guys did in the first game, it's going to be a long night. See, you're speaking to my soul here because anytime we're talking about battle in the trenches and line of scrimmage, Look, if you acknowledge a guy that's occupying blockers, we can have a beer anytime. Because those are the guys <laughs> – look, I mean, it's true. They don't get enough run because those are the guys that really make the plays happen and they don't get any press. Like you said, nobody recognizes them. And one thing that Appen uh, and the Cajuns have in common is that the t- our team's strengths are on the offensive line. I-, I-, I strongly believe that. Jerry might have a different opinion. I think that our offensive line makes everything go or not go. Our most talented, our most educated uh, and intelligent guys are in those positions. And that's no knock on anybody else. They're just extremely talented and extremely smart on the football field. So I'm glad you brought those guys up. Uh, One thing about that, and this kind of parlays into what we were just talking about. App fans love their football. They know college football. They follow it closely. Closely, you guys are an educated bunch. I love that about App State. We can talk real football. Have you guys been watching the Cajuns since October 12th? Have you been keeping tabs? I mean, look, Billy never lost to a West, a Western Division Sunbelt Conference team. So you probably knew that you were going to end up playing us for the Sunbelt Conference Championship. Is, is that something that you guys followed throughout the year? Uh, and that's, that's mostly uh, just kind of like self-serving on the question there because I know that a lot of our, our, our inner circle App State friends do – is it overall thing? The lot majority of App State fans kind of pay attention to the Cajuns after the game. You know, it's hard to speak for everybody. I, I think people football differently. You know, um, I think we've got kind of like what you mentioned that big core group of our fan base that, yeah, we're we're keep up with who we know that we're going to see in a championship game. And um, you know, for myself personally, I I have tried to watch as much of you guys as I can uh, since that point. And, you know, there's, there's been some games where y'all have surprised me with how close that you played teams and uh, how Levi Lewis has not looked like the same Levi Lewis that was on the field that night in October, you know, and it's not all on him. I don't want to to make that be the case, but uh, you know, I, I have to say, you guys talked about how you were cheering for us against Coastal. When you guys kicked the shit out of Liberty, I was about as happy of a fan as you could possibly be. Yes, yes. What was it, 40, 42 to 14? I mean, ouch. Y'all made Malik Willis look like he needed to go back to FCS. 
you know, that you're you're looking at a, a potential first round pick there in the NFL. So yeah, I, I would say we've been keeping up with you and we knew this rematch was coming if we took care of our business. So uh, that's awesome. If you if you had to select the Western Division representative, would it be us? And the reason why I ask that is because we've developed rivalry is not the right word and we use it a lot because it's just the easy word but it's more like uh what's good for the league is cajuns and app state football games do you guys feel the same i i I feel like we carry the weight of the entire league with us coastal was a flash in the pan i know i don't i never took them seriously they've got a good offense and they've got a good quarterback and i understand that but i'm talking about from a program standpoint it's app state it's the cajuns and then there's everybody else other than looking out for our own teams as a conference, we have to look out for what's best for the, our product on the field. You know, if, if for some reason you guys slipped up a couple of times and we're playing, I don't know, Arkansas state in the, in the championship game, nobody nationally gives two fat, happy rats butts about that game, you know, but you've got two teams in app state, Louisiana that are both should be top 25 teams. A little salty about that, by the way, that that you guys are in and we're not. Um, Congratulations to you. But, you know, I I think having two teams at that level puts the Sun Belt in a light nationally that's only going to help all of us. And, you know, the more we can get the the Georgia States and the South Owls, those guys competitive, you know, that increases the the value of the product. Uh, I think adding Marshall – is going to be a huge addition. You know, uh, James Madison has potential. Uh, I mean, Sunbelt East is going to be an absolute Monster. nightmare crawl. Yeah. Uh, Troy's probably happy they're moving over to the West. But, uh, you know, definitely, you guys right now are who we want to play. And, um, and I think kind of likewise, we're, we're who you guys want to see. To, to be the best, you got to beat the best. I agree. Uh, you know, the SEC fans, and look, I'm not going to ride for the SEC. That's the last thing I would ever do. But the SEC used to get a lot of shit for rooting for teams in the conference when they play out-of-conference teams. And I thought that was always the dumbest thing that people could criticize them for because you always want your league to be nationally respected. You want that perception to be as high as it can possibly be. I never understood the criticism. But – I see a lot of that in the Sun Belt. Now, everybody hates Coastal because how can you not? But as far as everybody else, I mean, I root for Troy when they play out of conference. Hell, I watched the entire South Carolina Troy game, and I was rooting hard for them. They should have won the damn thing. App State and the Miami game, I mean, I was coming out of my chair a few times. I watched the teams in our league because it's gotten so much better. The, the quality of football on the field has gotten so much better, and the national perception has really skyrocketed. So no, I, I never, I never bought into that idea that you don't root for your conference mates. I, I think that's ridiculous, unless it's coastal. I think, I think also too, not to mention, if you look at it from a perception standpoint with conference realignment, uh, Ty, like you just said, adding Marshall, adding JMU, adding Old Dominion, who's on a five-game win streak right now, started the season one and six, and might have snuck their way into a bowl game, and then on top of that, you have a Southern Miss team that historically has always been really good, and they're kind of on their way back up. That that is so big for this conference, uh, and, and and seeing the way Conference USA has pretty much collapsed for the most part, seeing the way that the American has reshifted into major markets rather than quality of teams, because I think Louisiana and App State both would have been good for the American, but we're not in 
we don't have we don't have flights out of our airports going to London, so uh, or flying to China. So of course, I guess that's I guess that's a quality of, of these uh, American schools. You have to have an airport in your city that 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 goes and flies halfway across the world, right? But I still I still think that um, with what the Sun Belt has built, what the Sun Belt has reconstructed as of late, I think this this conference is on its way to being the best G five conference, especially if the Louisianas and the App States and even I know I, it pains me to say it because I know you're here, but the Georgia Southerns, the 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 you know the Southern Misses of the world, like you said, Troy and South Al, they all get better. The conference gets better, and we get better, better recruits, more notoriety, all that. So I think we're on our way up, conference wise. I think I think it's only a matter of time. Well, and, and you know you brought Georgia Southern. Don't get me wrong, we hate the hell out of them, but. We want that to be a competitive series. You know, we, we don't – that game was lifeless on Saturday. And, you know, the crowd wasn't in it because that was a pathetic team that we played. And, you know, I'm interested to see what Clay Helton brings to that uh, program. I, I don't know that that's necessarily the best marriage coach to program, but we'll see, you know. Um, certainly, a, I don't know if I'd call him a household name, uh, but – a bigger name coach coming in there maybe can help recruiting because uh, their recruiting has sucked the last few years. We'll see. But, yeah, if we can elevate the bottom tier Sunbelt teams, certainly going to help the overall product. Agree. We've said for years that we need to pick the floor up. But uh, and I also agree that Todd Helton is a very strange fit at Southern. There's something about it that just doesn't make sense. But – but. I digress. Maybe we'll get you back on and we'll do a conference thing and a coach thing. A <laughs> uh, couple of fun ones before you let you run, man. The guys around town, I may or may not be involved. Uh, the students, we'll call it the students. Yeah, that's what we'll say, Jerry. The students are discussing maybe rushing the field with a victory on Saturday. Our question is, will you all look down your noses at us if we rush the field when we're losing our coach, our historic coach, and winning a Sunbelt title all in the same day for the first time ever hosting the game. Do you think that's a terrible idea, and would you make fun of us? Well, didn't we rush the field for beating the Astro Clears? That's true. Um, so oh, man, I'm so glad you said that. I, that's I'm, true. I'm not, look, I am not the fan police, and, and I'm, in, I'm in the firm camp of you win a championship, you do whatever the hell you want to do. Um, you know, you'll have the certain old bags in the fan bases be like, oh, well, why, why are they rushing the field? You know, that's bull. Well, no. You, you want a championship game, do whatever the hell you want to do to celebrate, and if the opposing team don't like it, well, win the game next time. It's um, supposed to be fun, right? I mean, come on. Exactly. It is college football, man. It's not, it's not life or death. It, it's something that we do and talk about for fun, so – um, I, I've been a part of several championship field stormings myself. Uh, when I was a student there, we, we beat Furman to win the SOCON. Uh, we beat Georgia Southern to win the SOCON. We stormed both of those times. Um, you know, we didn't necessarily storm the field after beating you guys, but we all just kind of congregated on the field. So, you know, it, do whatever you want, and, and you won't hear one single gripe out of me, so. I like how you call them the Astra Clears because we've adopted that name as well. So oh, it's great I? to see. I, I, I didn't even realize I did that. 
You see that it's so it's so subconscious now. We don't even notice it. It's it's Kobe players. <laughs> anyway, uh, Ty, thanks for being on with us. But we have a few more questions before we end this thing. Um, you know, uh, of course, just like you experienced with Sat and uh, Drinkwitz, you know, we're we're losing our coach. First time in school history, we we've lost our coach to a a much bigger program in the Florida Gators. Uh, very bittersweet for us. Very bittersweet for us. Uh, you know, one thing about our Cajun heritage is when you when you uh, become part of our community, you're always going to be family. That's the Cajun culture for you. And uh, Billy Napier and his family will always be family and always be a part of our community. But, you know, I have to ask, you know, as an app fan, uh, you've, you've faced this enough times knowing what Billy Napier brings to the table. Uh, what's going to be what, what's your lasting impression of what Billy Napier did here at Louisiana? And uh, what what I mean, are you are you are you happy to see him go? Are you sad to see him go? Just talk a little bit about from from a point of view of an app fan. What 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 was your lasting impression of what Billy Napier did here? Well, you know, as, as an app fan, we hated Mark Hudspeth, just absolutely hated the guy. The We've fact that we got the fact that we got him fired after a royal ass beating in Boone um, made our our day. But I, you know, we we have a, a certain thing with Billy Napier as well from the Miracle on the Mountain. If you haven't watched that play, I strongly suggest you go on YouTube and watch the Miracle on it. the Mountain. Trust me, we, they we, sent we it know. to us. They sent we, it we to know. us. Yeah, we know. <laughs> but but from a pure a uh, pure football standpoint. I think watching what Billy has put in place there has reminded a lot of us what has happened in Boone. And, and it's been really good to see you guys go from, uh, you know, what you were at the end of the HUD era to what you are now. And, and like we've talked about, it, it's kind of good to have that other top dog that you're, you're always facing off against. And, uh, you know, in terms of just wanting the Sun Belt to be, strongly competitive it it sucks to see uh napier go but we've been able to reload because of that culture um it the the coach hasn't mattered it's the the player-led culture program that i think you guys have established in billy's four years there that should be able to carry on no matter who you hire as a coach the only way that changes is if some guy comes in there and just wants to absolutely make it his own and make it about him. And from what I've seen of, of your AD with the hires that he's made in multiple programs, that's not the case. So whoever becomes the next raging Cajun head coach, I think he's going to carry on the tradition. Um, you know, certainly wish Billy all the, all the best at Florida. Good luck, pal. But, uh, you know, it's, uh, Sad to see a good face and, and, and guy like that lead the Sun Belt, but I think you guys will be fine. I'm curious now. Um, you said y'all didn't like Mark Husband too much. Uh, was it because of his comment of having to get to Boone where you have to right, go around the mountainside? Or what, what was it about HUD that, uh, that App State fans felt a little sour about there? You know, I don't know if it was the Smedium polos or the uh, – the fact that he acted like you guys took a horse and buggy to get to freaking Boone. I mean, it, it, was, it may have been a mixture of both, but uh, yeah, there was just something about the guy that rode this the wrong way. And, uh, you know, I think he called us Appalachian a few times and that, you know, that, that'll piss off any Mountaineer. So, 
Yeah, the combination of all of the above, I think, was what had us in for HUD. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, it, it, it was definitely a culture shift uh, since he left. And, and he did a lot of great things for us in the beginning. You know, he, he showed us what winning looked like, so that was cool. But some, some, all things must come to an end, and, and we brought in, brought in Billy. And we're at that same phase now, right? Uh, hopefully we can, like you said, continue on what we started, kind of like what app, sort of that app state model, right? All right, so last question. What is Tyler's predictions about this game? I know you said you couldn't make the trip, uh, but I'm sure you'll be watching on TV, probably screaming at the TV a few times, if you will, like we all do as fans. Um, what are your predictions? What are your thoughts on the game? How do you think this game's going to play out? Well, yeah, I got the got the whole family coming over to the, the brand-new house, got the Blackstone ready to go. I, we're we're going to make a big shindig out of it. But, uh, you know, like we've kind of talked about a few times, this game is not going to be a blowout. Um, if it is, you know, I'll, I'll eat my crow on my Blackstone. I, I don't know. But, it, you know, I, I think this game is going to come down to who can avoid the big mistakes. And, you know, that sounds cliche because that's the idea of any football games not turning the ball over. But when you've got two teams that match up the way ours do, that want to do the same types of things, I mean, it, it really is like two bulls running at each other. Whichever one slips up first or, or makes that one wrong step is, is going to be the one that loses the game. Um, you know, without completely spoiling my article, is going to come out some point this week. Uh I think it's a field goal football game at the end, um, you know, and whichever side ends up kicking that field goal, you know, it, it's going to be a hard fought victory. So I am excited to see how it turns out. I think either way, both teams have had, you know, fantastic seasons, but uh, hopefully the black and gold come out on top, but we'll, we'll see. Comes down to a field goal game. We might be in deep shit, Jerry. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's know, make it a little bit more. Let's let's kind of make the score a little bit more convenient on our part. Hey, score. I, at that point, I'll be happy that I'll be right beside my liquor cabinet. And I can assure you that. <laughs> Either way, it's going to be a celebration or a mourning process. But uh, I'm with you there, Tyler. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you, I, I am famous for not giving number predictions. I don't do scores. But I will say this. I think it's two very good football teams. I don't care. G5, P5, I don't care about that. It's two very good football teams that are meeting for everything, for, for superiority in the league. And that's something that we've built over the last four or five years. This league means something now. And that is a testament to App State. It's a testament to Sean Clark and Eli and everybody that came before him. And it's a testament to Billy and even HUD's ass. It's, it's partly part of, you know, it's part of his legacy, right? But the league has become something to be proud of if you win it. I'm thrilled about that because it, it, it bodes well going forward. It's two really good football teams that are going to show up and play great ball and put on a show for America. And that's awesome, man. That's awesome to be a part of. And we've been a charter member of the Sunbelt Conference. Wasn't always like that. So I, I, I'm going to take this, this game and I'm going to relish it and I'm going to understand that these are the good old days maybe, maybe for us. You never know. You never know. It takes one bad hire to take you off the rails, you know what I mean? But I'm excited about the game. I feel like, look, I know the house is going to be packed. App State's going to bring the energy. Uh, the Cajuns will be ready. Lafayette puts on a hell of a party. It's going to be the place to be. And, and I'm excited for it. And I know Jerry feels the same. 
Tyler, thanks for joining, man. We really appreciate you. Encourage everybody around uh, the Acadiana area, Cajun Nation, all that. TappedInSports.net. If you do go and visit, tell them you heard them on Raging Review. Check out their content. If you don't follow uh, follow Tyler, Tyler, where can they get you on Twitter? Uh, so I'm at uh, at Coach Helton 09. Um, and uh, I appreciate you guys letting me on here. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll be chatting about a heck of a game on Saturday and then uh, go kicking some ass in the bowl games to wherever we end up. So appreciate the blog, guys, and uh, best of luck to you on Saturday. Thanks, Ty. All right, everybody. Tyler Helton, great guest. We'll be back for the last segment. We'll, we'll take care of some business. We'll talk about ticket sales uh, and a couple more thoughts on coaching searches and whatnot. You know, fun to talk about. Fun to speculate, right, Jerry? We'll see you guys on the other side. Distributing Company, Acadiana's top alcohol distributor for over 70 years, has been a proud supporter of Louisiana athletics for many of those years. Now, they've kindly decided to become the exclusive distributing sponsor of the Rage and Review podcast. This is just another chapter in Schilling Distributing's rich history of giving back to the Lafayette community. Starting as an Anheuser-Busch exclusive distributor, they're now expanded to include local brews for your sipping pleasure. Schilling services over 1,500 local businesses throughout the Acadiana area, employing 160 Ragin' Cajun residents, and they boast over 1,400 years of combined experience. Corporately headquartered right here in Lafayette at 2901 Moss Street, Schilling Distributing encourages Cajun Nation to enjoy their beverages responsibly and reminds you to download the Liquid Finder app today. The Corrupt Football Playoff has finally recognized a deserving football team in their ridiculous standings. The Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns finally made the CFP rankings today, coming in at number 24. Jerry, why did it take this long? Because we're a G5. Uh, we're not we're not cool enough to hang out with the cool kids of the P the, the P five or the privileged five. And um, I think a lot of it had to do with, you know, our wins weren't, quote unquote, sexy enough. We weren't blowing teams out by 60 points. So, you know, forget the fact that we're winning the games. You have to win the games now by so many. But if you're a P five school and you barely squeak by a bad P five school, 
you, you don't budge in your poll. You don't budge. See Alabama, six-point win against LSU, had to basically come back against Auburn, and they're sitting, they're sitting pretty comfortably at number three last time I checked. By the way, we've been having a lot of chit-chat back and forth with the Florida Gators. You remember that Florida Gator game? It won by two points against a yeah. team that has, what, four wins, five wins? Yeah. Yeah. And fired so, their coach and got our coach, but they're at yeah. number three. Yeah, and comfortably in the P5, all you have to do is basically play an opponent that is quote unquote respected, and you're fine. Mississippi State lose four or five times, no big deal. Yeah, they move them into the poll. They they actually jump in the poll. It's so ridiculous. It, it's it kind of reminds me. Remember Space Jam when Michael Jordan's playing baseball and he strikes out, and everybody in the dugout's like, "Wait, what a beautiful strikeout, Mike!" Nobody strikes out as good as you do, man. That was a really good strikeout. I, I kind of get that same analogy. Like, oh man, that was a great looking loss because you lost to a good team. We'll move you up three spots. Meanwhile, teams like Louisiana and eh, they're G five and eh, keep the gutter, the gutter five to them, the gutter five, keep them in the gutter. You know, we'll, it, it took, it took 11 straight wins for the Cajuns to actually sneak in at 24. And, and, and look, we're joking about it. Uh, we laugh about it, but they made it. So just in time for the championship game. And that's going to give notoriety to our team. That's going to give notoriety to the conference. Yeah. Um, people are going to want to watch this game because of that. And um, it, it's, again, it's just another testament. Yeah. I'm happy that he's going to end the, the season with a number next to his name. Um, it's unfortunate that App State didn't get the same respect. They have had a solid program for a long time. Uh, but it is what it is. It's still good. It's still good to finally crack the top 25 in, in their eyes, I guess. Uh, and we'll continue to climb in the other polls. But anyway, Matt had to study tonight. He's got finals this week. So we'll excuse him and kind of take care of the rest of the pod for, for this afternoon. Um, Louisiana Tech, who once looked like they were going to give their head coaching job to an assistant that was already on staff, has pivoted to Sonny Cumbie a name that Cajun fans should be pretty familiar with. He was on the list. I, I even say he was on the short list uh, when Billy was, uh, you know, eventually hired, but he was somebody that we looked at. Uh, he's a good coach. I think he's going to stay with Texas Tech through the, the end of their season. I think he'll be coaching a bowl game if I read that properly. And um, I got to be honest with you. I think it's a great hire for Louisiana Tech. I, I, I've had a lot of respect for Sonny Cumbie for a long time when you really get to dig into his past and his pedigree, it's pretty impressive. Um, Louisiana tech. That's a good hire. It's a good hire. So I know we give them a lot of shit and they deserve it, but this is, in my opinion, uh, this is a step in the right direction for that program. Yeah. I mean, look, he, he runs that type of offense that a lot of G five schools, I mean, if it, when it's effective, it's effective, right? He likes to run a spread. It's a lot of fun to watch. Um, it's entertaining. And look, let's be honest, Louisiana Tech has always run an offense like that. Uh, you're not going to see them run, you know, ground and pound. They throw the ball ever since the days of Bradshaw all the way to Tim Rattay. They throw the football. So I think Sonny Cumbie fits the mold over there. Um, and I also think he's a good coach. He's a great offensive mind. He's got a he's really good at scheming. And I think that's something they're they're Look, they, they need somebody right now. Um, they need something. And I think he's a good fit for them. And I think. I hate to say it, but I think he's going to have some success there. So, no, congratulations to Coach uh, Cumby, and I wouldn't say best of luck to them, but you know, nah, I'll just I'll just leave it at that. I'll, I'll just nah. leave it at that. They can kick rocks, uh, but I, I do believe that it's a good fit for them, and I agree with everything you said. 
it actually brings up a point that we don't have on the rundown here, but I've been thinking about this. You know, Billy was a spread you out and run it down your throat type of coach. We know that Maggard has an affinity for offensive coaches. I expect to hire a guy that has the offensive mind as, as our head coach. How would you feel if we pivot from Billy Napier, who's a ground and pound from a spread to an air raid offense? Would you feel good about that? Or would you kind of long for the old days? You know, one thing about our offense, even in spite of being more grounded pound, is that it's our defense that complements us. Um, I think at the G5 level, most of the time you're going to find coaches or head coaches with more of an offensive mindset. Uh, to me, in order to be successful at this level, yes, you can hire whoever you want, but you have to have a good defense. You got to have a, you got to find another Patrick Tony. You got to go find a Ron Roberts. You know, you can, you can throw the ball 70 times a game. I mean, it doesn't matter to me, but you, you need a defense to be able to complement that. And, and sometimes the, the, the weaker part of running um, a spread is that sometimes you score pretty quickly. And sometimes your defense doesn't have time to, to take a rest and take a breather. And so I think one thing that this offense under Napier has been successful in is the fact that we do burn clock. We do tend to, to kill clock. We do burn, you know, march down the field pretty, pretty smoothly a lot of times. And it's a good combination and a good mix with the type of defense we have. Um, our defense is very aggressive in the trenches, but the more physical you are, the more rest you need sometimes, right? So I think the offense actually complements what the defense does because they do burn clock and they let our defense rest to where sometimes if you run that spread offense and you score quick, that defense has to come right back on the field, even though it's fun to watch. So I think there is a balance there. I think if we do find a coach that runs more of an air raid or passes the ball more, I would like to find a defensive coordinator that can coach with that or coached against that uh, type of, of scheme because you're it, it now you're now you're looking at semantics now you're looking at actual uh time of possession now you're looking at conditioning so um i'm good with either but at the g5 level you know they all say defense wins championships at the g5 level that really is significant is getting a good 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 defense i agree i agree if i'm being honest i'll say that i'll be a little disappointed if we opt for the air raid I'm not a big fan of the Texas Tech types and the SMU types. I think that you can only go so far like that, and uh, maybe I'll get killed for saying that, but I really, really, really love the, bland, the brand of football that we play right now. I love the ground and pound. I think that in the state of Louisiana, you're always going to be able to find a couple of really excellent backs, and I think that your offensive line, talent, the pool that we have to choose from, I think that you're always going to be able to win games better that way. I might be wrong on that. That's my opinion. Uh, but while the air raid can put stress on a defense and it's stressful to play against, if you line up with the type of cornerbacks that we have and the type of safeties that we have, when you disrupt that, it's over. I mean, look what App State did to Coastal Carolina in the second half of their football game. They, and they're not necessarily an air raid. They're more of an option team that they run out of the gun. And McCall is good enough to do the RPO and hurt you down the seam. But once they started getting physical with, with Coastal and those receivers, they completely shut them down in the second half. Um, and I know that's not, like I said, that's not exactly the air raid that we're explaining, but I, I still would love to stay true to what we are and our identity. And right now that's kill them 
in the middle of the hashes, run the football, hold on to the ball, you know, use the clock to your advantage and play great defense. That is football to me. You know, that that's that old school type of ball, even though it's kind of, it looks a little bit differently with the pistol and the shotgun formations. It's still the same. The principle is still the same. Beat them on the ground, stop the run, win games. Well, when I, the line I hope that we're true to that. Yeah, win the line of scrimmage, exactly. Win the line of scrimmage. I mean, that look, App State does it. We've done it. Um, you know, the hardest part about a spread is these offensive line, the offensive linemen and a spread offense are a lot more finesse. They have to be a lot quicker on their feet. They have they're, they're built a certain way. Um, you know, that's that's one thing that that Billy said about Liberty. You know, Malik, Malik Willis is a great quarterback, but their offensive line was average. They're tall. It was a sieve. Bad. They're they're tall. They're 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 built, but they're not. They weren't aggressive. Like I felt like we penetrated that line so many times. And to me, that's a spread offense for you. When you go up against a very aggressive front seven, if you have, like you said, if you have fast guys in the secondary, you're not going to do much. Well, I'll you're take not. it a step further. If you're physical with them and you knock them off routes, that air raid is, is predicated on timing routes. If you can get and disrupt those timing routes, you can disrupt the entire offense. And then once you get them, once you get in their heads, it's over, man. And look, it'll probably work 70% of the time, but we're not trying to win 70% of the games. We're trying to win 100% of the games. So, you know, whoever comes on board, I'm going to support, of course. I just really love the brand of ball we play now. And I'll, I'll try to keep us from going down too far of a rabbit hole there. No, I agree. I, I think the, the the coach that comes in, look, you got to get a good strength. If, if Mark Hockey ends up going with Billy to Florida – Step one is getting a good strength and conditioning coach. I don't think people really understand the significance of your strength and conditioning squad. That, that's huge, right? Keeping your team conditioned all season long, but, you know, minimizing injuries, um, you know, being able to be the team still standing in the fourth quarter. I think Mark Hockey's done a great job of that since he's been here. Uh, also, too, um, you talk about the, the type of coach to bring in. Like I said, I like watching the air raid if it works, but on the other hand, now that you mentioned it, I also want to win the line of scrimmage. Um, if that's what it takes to not be as quote unquote sexy on offense, then I'm okay with what the offense that we run now. Um, you know what's you know, sexy to me, Jerry? Big ass men running over other big ass men. That's, <laughs> that, that's football, man. That's football, yeah, you know? For sure. And I understand the guys that like offense, and I get it. I know fans like to see points. I don't care about that. I don't I, I, look if we're going to win nine to six, I'm happy with that. Just I want to win. Me, give me, yeah, give me the W. And, and I want to win. I, I want to play well every time out. I want to know what to expect from my team. I think the air raid kind of gives you a little bit uh, more to, to worry about it. You know, again, timing routes. And I, I think you're more susceptible to a good physical defense with that type of offense. Uh, right. When I you agree. Run the ball and you hold on to the football. No. I, if you do that well every time out, you're going to win most of your games. Billy's Absolutely. So, Absolutely. I, I agree. So anyway, uh, I wanted to give a ticket sales update. You know, we've kind of been keeping tabs and asking questions from people that would know. Uh, I reached out to someone we speak to regularly, told them that there was a little bit of a rumor going on about possibly 34 to 36,000 tickets sold. What he said to me was it's not 36,000, but it's, more than 30 good so you gotta you gotta think okay app state's gonna sell their allotment 
you got to think the students are going to show up for this bad boy. And you have to, you, we're going to have some sort of a walk up. You know, I'm still getting calls to this day. I mean, we're, you know, we're recording on a Tuesday night and we'll release this on Wednesday, but I'm still getting calls for, from people that haven't gone to games in years saying, who do I need to contact to get tickets? So that's, that's good. That's a great thing. Uh, and, and as I've said on Twitter, uh, the administration feels like a sellout is within grasp. Yeah, very close. Very close, so, which is great. It's great. Now, if we can marry that great tailgating environment that we're famous for, which I've already seen the tents go up, so that's a good sign. If we, if we can put those things together for one Saturday, man, you never know. It could light this place on fire for Cajun football again. I don't see why that can't happen, especially if we walk out with a W. And, I agree. And, and what better way to send Billy off? And, and I've said this before, but I'll say it again. If you can't show up for Billy on Saturday and you can't show up for this team, this historic team, you can't show up, period. No, I mean, I don't think it gets much better than this in our history. I mean, nationally ranked, hosting a championship game, uh, a coach that basically you're, you're, you're saying farewell to a coach that's going to the Florida Gators. That, that's never happened before. Um, I mean, it's almost like opposite day, right? We were always the coaching graveyard. We were always a team going 1-11 or 1-10 instead of 10-11-1. or 11 and one. We were always a team in the bottom 24 instead of being ranked number 24. So, I mean – yeah, uh, that, 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 there's no excuse and there's no reason, and we don't want to guilt trip anybody, but if you have nothing else to do this weekend, the weather's supposed to be nice. Get your tickets, go to the game, support this team, thank this class, thank this, thank this coach for giving us this type of success. And look, this can be something we build on for the next coach, right? This isn't the end of the story. It's, it's just the beginning, right? Which I'm kind of giving a little bit away uh, in my man, I tell you what segment, but uh, this could be, look, there's a lot of coaches applying for this job. They're going to be watching on TV on Saturday. You win this game, you win this championship. You just gave that new coach a nice head start and a nice boost to starting their tenure here with that type of success. So, um, no, show up, be there, be there, be loud, make, make this place dangerous, make Cajun field a dangerous place, make it a, a, a hostile environment. I agree. I'm not in the business of telling people how to be a fan. I think that everybody experiences you know, quote unquote, fandom differently. So this is what I'm, what I'm about to say is not that I'm not trying to tell you how to be a fan, but what I will tell you is, you know, you made the comment of, I'm not trying to put anybody on a guilt trip. I am. If you wear red on Fridays to work, you wear your polo and you fix your hair and you look nice and you're a grad, you live in Lafayette and you say you root for the Cajuns. If you say all those things, there's zero reason. Obviously, there's a few reasons, but there's zero practical reasons why you should not be in the house on Saturday. You never know that experience. If you have kids, you never know that experience could be what sparks their fandom. I can go back and tell you a couple of different things that sparked my love for Cajun sports. Jerry could probably do the same. There's, you never know when the time is that it's going to spark something either in you your kid, your family member, whatever. For the diehards, if you have family members that have never been to a game but have ex even expressed a little bit of interest, make it happen. Spend 25 bucks to get them in the gate. I mean, look, it doesn't get any better than what we're going to experience on Saturday. And, you know, we gave the ticket update more to just highlight the community is, is finally waking up after four years and saying, wow, we should really support this guy. He's historic. He's special. Even if it's just one Saturday, 
go out and experience what we've all already seen and what we've all been talking about all these years. This guy is a one in a million type of guy. He's changed this program forever. Go say thank you. Go have a beer. Go experience some top-notch football. Whatever it is that, that suits you, it's going to be there for Saturday. Why don't you go pick up a ticket, the few that remain, and experience it with the rest of us? No doubt. Agreed. Injuries. Uh, there's a few players that haven't been available lately. Uh, one of them is Percy Butler, who's a big part of our defensive secondary. Uh, Coach Napier said that they held him out of last game as a precautionary measure. He will be back. Uh, supposedly, he will be back, and he's healthy, so that is great. Osiris Torrance has been out for two weeks with concussion. Uh, well, he's been in a concussion protocol. He practiced yesterday. Seems like he'll be a full go. Um, I know Makai Garner was held out last week. He will also be a full go. That was also precautionary. We don't have the full depth chart just yet. These are things that we've heard through the grapevine, and we trust them. So we're going to be pretty healthy, Jerry, going into the biggest game of the season. And the biggest game, as far as I'm concerned, in Raging Cajun history, at least a Cajun field. Yeah, uh, and that's going to help big time. Um, usually this time of year, like we talked with Tyler, um, you know, you get beat up. You get bruised. You've played 12 games. Uh, but we need to be the healthiest we can be going into Saturday. And I'm sure players are going to do everything they can to make sure that happens. Absolutely. And listen, you can't overstate the importance of Osiris Torrance. We saw what his absence meant to the team last week. We have to have him. We need him. We have to have him. I mean, he is a huge difference maker. He's an NFL-type offensive lineman. He's going to play on Sundays one day. We need him on this Saturday. So I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that he's okay from the, the car accident. Thrilled that, uh, you know, the, the, the concussion protocol went as it should have. Glad we're in a position where we didn't have to worry about him at, against ULM. It, it, that's what happens when you have a deep team. And, and credit to Hudson. He did a great job. Uh, you know, we were a little bit critical in the, in the first time that he had to start for Osiris Torrance against um, – Oh, Jerry, I'm, it's been – it's late and I had a couple of beers. What? what <laughs> oh, Liberty. Liberty, yeah. He didn't play against Liberty, and it, it showed early on, if you remember that post game, uh, which wasn't pretty. But anyway, uh, glad to have Osiris Torrance ready to roll. We need him. Uh, Percy back, great. Need our thumper. And, and Makai, obviously. Unfortunately, we're hearing rumors that Makai is going to go to Florida as well. Hopefully that's not true. But if he does, great for him. It's going to be a great opportunity. Seems like that's the truth. So – Moving on to the most important segment of the evening. Jerry, take it away. Well, thank you. Yeah, um, put some thought into this one. Um, there's so much. Um, so anyway, here we go. Man, I tell you what. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Last Saturday was just another part of the entire story when the Cajuns won their 11th straight game of the season against the ULM Warhawks on senior day at Cajun Field. This also marked the fourth straight win against ULM, making Billy Napier officially undefeated at 4-0 against them and a perfect 16-0 in the Sun Belt Conference Western Division since his arrival in 2018. And what an accomplishment. But in order to really understand the storyline, Let's go back to the first part, the beginning, November 25th, 2017. That day, the Cajuns, or 5-5 five and five Cajuns, hosted a 1-9 Georgia Southern team on senior day with a chance to clinch their sixth bowl berth in seven years. 
That entire season was a roller coaster ride from winning games that we were underdogs in, but also losing games that we shouldn't have lost. Add in being on probation, two straight losing seasons, inappropriate off the field antics, and the constant coaching turnover in Mark Hudspeth's staff. And you had a football team going in an odd direction with a fan base that had just become apathetic to all of it. That same November Saturday against Georgia Southern, when we went to the game, something seemed off. As I looked across the field right before kickoff, I noticed that the student section was completely empty. And it wasn't the typical Thanksgiving weekend type of empty. There was literally no one in the student section. Once the game started, the other parts of the stadium looked the same. And the product on the field complemented that with emptiness. In front of an announced crowd of a little over 13,000, even though the real crowd looked more like 5,000, Georgia Southern would spoil the Cajun Senior Day with a 34-24 to upset win. It's safe to say that this was about the time where the fan base com- collectively agreed that it was time for something different, something new. After that game, the Cajuns would go 5-6, and six, and they had one more shot at a bull berth but that was shut down with an embarrassing 63 to 14 loss to Appalachian state the following week. The next morning it was announced that a head coaching change was going to be made. And during the next few weeks, the search became interesting. Fans threw out names like Brent Pry, Sonny Cumbie, Chip Lindsay, to name a few. And how could we forget the infamous plane watch when rumors of Kevin Sumlin showing interest in the job took off like crazy to the point that a local news station sent a car out to the airport when a plane landing from College Station arrived. But come to find out it was a false alarm. Then an official announcement came from the university. Arizona State Offensive Coordinator Billy Napier accepted the job to become head football coach at the University of Louisiana. Now, a lot of us did not know much about him, but then something stood out on the resume. He was an assistant coach both under Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban. At his opening press conference, Coach Napier stated subtly that, oh, we're going to win some games, as he said in his words, while laying out his plan for running this program. He also stated upon his hire on a local show that the one word that could describe the facilities that he toured here was commitment. Then upon hiring his staff of names like assistant coaches, such as Rob Sale, Jabbar Jaluk, and Ron Roberts, it was time to go to work, which brings us to the second part of the story, the middle. In this part, everything seemed to happen so quickly. It's like the saying goes, time flies when you're having fun. And have we had some fun? From the growing pains of our 2018 season to where we are today, we accomplished so much in this short span of time. We experienced four straight Sunbelt Western Division titles. We got to experience three straight 10-plus win seasons when before that, we didn't even know what a double-digit win season looked like. We got to see our first non-conference road win in six years when we defeated the MAC preseason favorite, Ohio, in 2019. And in that same year, we also got to see our first bowl win outside of the state of Louisiana since 1944 in the Lending Tree Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. And of course, that year, in that game, we defeated MAC champion Miami of Ohio. We also won our first game against a ranked opponent 
1990, uh, since 1996 against Fiesta Bowl champion and Big 12 runner-up Iowa State and experienced our first ever national top 25 ranking since 1943. And we also want to share the Sunbelt Conference title, all happening in 2020. And this year in 2021, we have produced a new record of 11 straight wins, as well as the best regular season record of 11 and one. In this short amount of time, we have experienced so many feats that was one time thought to be impossible in our 100 plus years of playing football at this university. These four years will always be remembered as a golden era of Raging Cajun football. Let's hope we can put, or just put, it into more of these words of to be continued. But as the program marches on, there is that one part of the story that does have an ending. And it is this. This coming Saturday will mark the end of the Billy Napier era before he heads to Gainesville to be introduced as the new head coach of the Florida Gators. For Cajun fans, this will be our last chance to show up in person to Cajun Field to say, thank you, coach, to a man who has brought us so much instant success in such a short amount of time. But there's also more to this game. Unlike hosting Alabama in 1990, or Texas A&M in 1996, the anticipation is different this time around as a home game because there's so much more to play for. This is the conference championship game, the biggest game ever to be played at Cajun Field since the stadium opened in 1971. With that, memories of the stadium come rushing back to the surface. Shades of Roy Henry going back to pass. Brian Mitchell running for 60 yards on an option play. Orlando Thomas breaking up a pass with a hard hit on the receiver. Jake DeLome completing another touchdown pass to Brandon Stokely. Or how about Terrell Finroy breaking another 70-yard run through the second level of the defense for the score? But new memories will be created this weekend as well. And this team has a chance to accomplish a feat that has never been done since 1970 or hasn't been done since 1970 by coach Russ Falkenberry and his USL Bulldogs. And that is to win the conference championship outright. We have a chance to send our seniors out for the last time the right way. A senior class whom some of which played in that Georgia Southern game back in 2017 when we did not know where our program was headed. And we have a chance to give our coach one last accomplishment as a parting gift as he heads to Gainesville to take on a new challenge in his career. But there is one roadblock, Appalachian State, a team on a mission looking to also win a conference championship and spoil the party. So what does that mean, Cajun Nation? Well, we all need to be present on Saturday from the second the pride of Acadiana takes the field for the pregame to when the team runs out of the tunnel, to when the clock strikes zero in the fourth quarter. Every play on defense, we need to be loud. Every touchdown reaction needs to be heard from miles away. And every seat in that stadium needs to be filled. For years, we have heard about our football program being, and I quote, a ticking time bomb. Or a sleeping giant, if you will. Well, based on what we've seen these past four years, the fuse has been lit. And it's safe to say that the sleeping giant has indeed awakened and walking around ready to make a roar to let everyone know that he's there. Now it's time to prove that come 2.30 p.m. this Saturday at Cajun Field. Every story has a beginning, a middle, and an end.
just like in 1993, when the late Nelson Stokely was carried off the field after winning a share of the Big West Conference title, seeing Billy Napier carried off the field after clinching the school's first outright football conference championship in half a century would be the perfect ending to his time here in Cajun country. Man, I tell you what, Cajun Nation, how about we all play a part? Go out, get the job done, and close this story out the right way so we can indeed say of this Billy Napier era, the end. See you Saturday, Cajun Nation. Go Cajuns. Beautifully done. Tell you what, man, you've done a, an excellent job with these. I, I, I was, I, I, you caught me daydreaming there. I was thinking about the game and just how badly I want to rush the field when we win. Uh, <laughs> look, 77, about a 20% chance of rain, which is pretty much every day in South Louisiana. There's no reason why we don't have 35, 38 plus. And I feel bad for the people that do miss because it's again, I, I keep saying it and I'll say it again. It's going to be a seminal moment at Cajun Field. It will go down in lore. It will. Win or lose, there, this, there's going to be a chapter written and finished, just like you said, on Saturday. If you call yourself a Cajun fan, hell, if you're a Lafayette resident, if you're an Acadian of any kind, don't miss this. You're doing yourself a disservice. We're going to put a bow on this episode it's been so fun doing these through the, the course of the season, and we'll, we'll have a few more before we, we end the, the season. But it, there's so much importance on this game. There's so much importance on this time in Cajun football history and, and really our program. This is such a seminal moment. It's such a, a big just, just time stamp in the history of our program and our, our city. I hope everybody understands that and appreciates that and supports this team. If you can't support Billy on Saturday, you, you can't support, man. I, I can't say it any more plainly than that. And, uh, look, thanks for, thanks for listening to us this season. I know Jerry appreciates it. I sure do. I, and I know for a fact Matt does. So we'll see you guys a couple more times before the end of it, and then we'll roll into basketball and – That'll be a whole other thing, but uh, it's, it's been a good time. Jerry, you got any last thoughts before the biggest game in Cajun field history? Well, I just, you know, I, I mean, when I was re I, I typed some of this stuff up, you know, I wanted, I added in the memories of the Roy Henry's and the Jake Delome, you know, Delome to Stokely. You know, I remember as a student on the rail watching Terrell Finroy break those 70, 80 yard runs. And, you know, I had to, I wanted to add this in because I wanted to talk about so many different accomplishments that has happened in this stadium. And, still not taking anything away from the 96 win against AM to the 1990 game against Alabama when Alabama, you know, played on our field against us. Right. I, you know, I, I just feel like there's so much riding on this game because this game, Levi Lewis going back to pass, you know, in the championship game, you can add a stat like that if we do it right this weekend and get the job done, you know, 50 years from now, when we're talking about Delome to Stokely and Brian Mitchell and Orlando Thomas and, and Damon Mason returning the pick six, hopefully we can talk about, you know, a Montreal Johnson running into the end zone or, or a, um, or I don't know, uh, a, a Levi Lewis throwing a touchdown pass to Kyron Lacey with, with two minutes left to go in the championship game. I mean, that, that, this is an opportunity to create a new memory in this place and, and in UL football history. 
You know, I, I you know, people talk about where they were the night we beat Texas A&M in 96. Who knows? You know, 25 years later, maybe we could be sitting here together with our kids telling them, you know, remember where we were the, the day we beat App State to win the championship game at Cajun Field? Th- this is this is our modern day Texas A&M game. I mean, this it's, is it's, it. It's a great And point. there's so much more to it on this game because after the A&M game, it was, it was business as usual. It was a regular season game. After this game, we can be holding up a trophy as the best team in the Sunbelt Conference, something we've never done before outright. So like you said, I want people, I'm going to repeat what you said. People, you know, if you're a Cajuns fan, there's so much riding on this game. There's so much that means so, it means so much to so many as fans like us who are diehards who sat through the one in 10 seasons, who sat through the worst losses, uh, you know, that we've experienced. And yet we have a chance to experience the best of the best, right. Of, of being the best in our conference, being a top 25 team. Um, I mean, for the, for years, we, you know, the university never really showed commitment as much to our program. They're finally showing commitment. We have a president who cares. We have an athletic director who is working tirelessly right now to, to hire somebody to, to, to bring in a coach to replace a guy like Billy Napier, who set the standard to continue the standard so we can experience more of these games. So we can experience more chances of being in the top 25 and more chances to host a championship. So I just look, this is the golden age of raging Cajuns football, man. And, and I, I don't want to miss a single day of it. I know you don't want to miss a day of it. I know Matt doesn't want to miss a day of it. Look, it's like, I tell friends, I got friends who are Alabama fans. I tell them all the time. I know sometimes you're not, your, your wins aren't as, you know, you're not winning by 60 every game anymore, but the second Nick Saban goes, it's going to be hard to go 12 and one and 11 and no every year, you know, so enjoy it while you can. And that's what I'm doing as a Cajuns fan. You know, we've never experienced success like this. And so I'm going to enjoy it as much as I can. And I'm going to enjoy it come Saturday uh, in the stands at Cajun field, screaming my lungs out, hoping we can like, as we say in the fight song, um, fight on to victory and uh, win that conference championship outright, holding that trophy up and, and celebrating, uh, celebrating a, a conference, a conference title and, and waving goodbye to and saying farewell to our coach. Yeah. That's a good point too. It's not enough just to show up and buy a ticket. I mean, we need our fans to go in there and make a difference in the game. All right. Go, go I'm be gonna, present. Go be present. Dude, I'm going to say it to the cage, the Cajun nation listening Cajun field better be rocking on Saturday, not just on third down. Not when tuna comes on the PA and says, Hey guys, it's third down. No, we don't need a reminder. Like everybody, Every single play. I want like the Superdome for a Saints playoff game. I want every single play. You're on your feet. You're making noise. I want to make sure. I want to see Chase Price call multiple timeouts. And I want to see App State get multiple delay of game penalties because our crowd is into it. The student section. Look, man, when we were students, we were intense. We were in our seats 45 minutes before kickoff, man, screaming at the other team, giving them a hard time. Students, if you're listening, I want the red zone rocking okay i want the red zone rocking i want you in those players heads i want you messing them up you know just giving them giving them a hard time do what you can that's your we job need, that's your job on saturday the home Impact field the game. Advantage. like yeah. we need cajun field to be rocking on saturday i'm so. actually for the first time maybe since i was a student i'm actually interested to see what our crowd can do to impact the game like i, I think that we actually may have a chance to impact the game and i i can't think of another time where I thought that that was possible. I mean, you get 35,000 Cajun fans that are in a frenzy in that place. That could be a really intimidating place to play. I remember the first few years of HUD 
um, when we were averaging close to 30,000. And I remember that game against Troy. We had 29,000. Troy had just won the conference. Now, I was that was my last semester, and we were on the rail. We wore the black helmets for the first time at home. Man, that game, I mean, the whole game was just – it was – the atmosphere was unbelievable. I mean, we were on the rail just – just going at it with the, with their players. I mean, we were messing them up. You know, every time they sat on the bench, we just kept yelling at them and just getting in their heads. Look, our student section is right on top of their bench, on of the visitors' bench. And the thing is, since we are five feet below sea level, the stadium's five feet below sea level or two feet below sea level. That sound stays down there. So, if everybody yells, that sound's going to be trapped down there. And I mean, look. If, I, I want to see Chase Bryce covering his ears on his helmet because he can't hear the play call. Like, I oh, want to no. see. We, we can make an impact. I, I, yeah. I guess my point is, is that the place is never full enough to actually impact the game. I think Saturday we have a chance to do it. And that's exciting to think about, you know. And, it and will on, be. on top of that, I mean, what more can you want in a college football game? You've got storylines. Billy Napier has gone to Florida. You're saying goodbye to a guy that changed us forever. You're saying thank you. You're saying thank you and goodbye to several super seniors that changed this program forever. You're saying goodbye to a record-breaking quarterback who's playing his last game at Cajun Field. Uh, So many people on staff that may or may not be here next year. You're saying goodbye to those guys and thank you to those guys. The the closest thing we have to a rival is App State, and that's who you're playing. Mm -hmm. Basically the standard bearer for the Sunbelt Conference for the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. what more can you pot? I mean, on national television, ESPN, prime time, in a, in a prime time slot, championship on the line. I can't think of anything else you would want more in a college football game. Right. Exactly. I mean, the, the storyline speaks for itself, man. Um, and and we all know what Billy Napier meant to this is meant to this community. Um, like I said, he'll always be family here at Cajun Country. I mean, if there's a more just you know people have going away parties let's make this a going away party for billy in a good way celebrate him celebrate what he accomplished here and show up to cajun field absolutely and look if there's one thing we know how to do let's throw a damn party so that's what we should we should be doing everybody appreciate you joining uh we are working on a bonus episode that may or may not drop later this week don't want to give away too many details because they're actually pretty exciting if it all works out. So be on the lookout for that. If not, next time we'll talk to you will be after the Sunbelt Conference championship game. That might be actually very interesting, the logistics of all that, because I may be calling you from the 50-yard line or from Legends. I haven't decided exactly where I'll finish off that day. But uh, for Jerry Bear, Josh Jagno, Man About Town, whatever you want to call me, and Matt Miguez studying to get out of college. Uh, We say thanks again, and uh, go Cajuns. Let's go get a championship.